Currently listening to the Hypecast. I've got my co-host Miles with me. We got a special guest, one of the coolest dudes I've bumped into of recent time, and it's always good when you get to meet someone fresh. They don't know you, you don't know them, and you're instantly drawn to everything, everything about them, their energy, what they're willing to do for you, and just good vibes. So I'll let Miles introduce that part of the guest a bit further. Boom. Good intro, man. Thanks, mate. That's hard, isn't it? It is hard. <laughs> so this is Hypecast number six. Guys, a really special guest. This one's close to my heart, just from our histories collide quite a lot. Um, I've got Daniel Willis in the studio. He's the CEO of Campbell Media Group. And man, you've got a cool history and I want to hear all about it. So for anyone out there that doesn't know who you are, um, but let's give him a little bit of a recap about what you've done and how you've gotten to where you are today. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. First time I've ever been on a podcast, so Sick. just excited awesome. that awesome. somebody cares enough to actually <laughs> sort of, you know, have me on. Um, you know, my journey, I grew up in Wellington, in New Zealand, um, actually played soccer for New Zealand uh, as a youngster growing up through the, cool. the cool. age groups. Uh, and that was really going to be my first career. Got injured when I was 20, uh, six months ahead of a fully professional contract in Greece. Wow. That didn't eventuate, so I thought, you know, what am I going to do? Growing up throughout school, I always thought, you know, I wanted to learn how to run a business. You know, I wanted to learn how to manage people and sort of be successful. Really had no idea what that meant at all. Um, Didn't want to go to university. Didn't love school that much. So, you know, I found myself 20 thinking, what am I going to do? I thought to myself at the age of 20, well, I want to learn how to be a manager and I want to learn how to meet girls. So how can I kind of do that at the same time? Very alpha. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go work in a cafe and uh, learn to be a waiter. Very cool. So I spent um, about two and a half years in a cafe, ended up managing about 18 months after I started. Thought to myself, you know, still early 20s, I think I could meet more girls if I worked in a bar. So I actually went and got a job as a, uh, as a bartender. Actually, I started off as a glassy. And worked my way up and spent a few years in hospitality and managed bars and nightclubs. Um, from there, thought, you know, I wanted to, I guess, get out of that world, moved to Australia, mm-hmm. um, ended up falling into sales, spent a few years in sales. That took me to the UK, spent some time living in the UK, uh, came back to Australia uh, after about 18 months and thought, you know, what do I want to do? So since I was younger, I'd always had an interest in fashion. Mm-hmm. I'd always been, you know, drawing T-shirt designs and notebooks and stuff like that in school. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just start a clothing brand from scratch. And, you know, fortunately had some money banked up from my time in the UK. I decided to start a brand called Lojack, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, which, which you know of. Yep. Um, ran that full time for a few years until some things changed within the industry. Uh, we closed our door back in 2012. I thought to myself, okay, you know, it's, I guess it's time to go back and get a real job uh, back in the corporate world. So I joined a company in the medical devices field, spent five years growing that from five staff to around 120. Wow. 
Ended up in the finance industry, spent uh, just over two years there uh, as a CEO in the finance world, and then ended up pulling the ripcord and leaving sort of corporate life and co-founding a a digital marketing company called Campbell Media Group. And here we are, sort of 12 months later. And with Campbell Media Group, it's a a Facebook ads specialist agency, and you guys have uh, the goal to become the biggest agency in Australia, is that right? Are they the goals? Uh, that is a goal. When we when we first opened the door, we didn't want to be just another agency. We yep. didn't want to, you know, be another five person or a ten person or a twenty person agency. We really wanted to be the number one digital marketing agency in this country. Sick. Love it. Uh, my business partner and I, you know, I guess I've both been lucky to have been successful in our, uh, within our careers, mm-hmm. and we didn't want to just open another. Also, ran, you know, we wanted to to be the best so that was the goal from day one i love it before we get into um campbell media group and what awesome things you guys are doing there and all of that sort of stuff i want to pull back into lojack days because um when we met and i found out that you were the one behind lojack i got really excited because obviously sel and i are involved in the mma world and I was involved in the MMA world just as a participant and as a coach and all those things when the low jack days were going through a real high. And I know a lot of the guys um, and girls listening to the podcast or watching, um, I can think of Big Az, all these kind of guys who are in the scene, they will be really excited about this podcast and just to hear about this journey about low jack because for the um, listeners out there, low jack was the biggest MMA clothing brand of its kind at that time and obviously you had your links with the ufc all these sorts of things tell us about the life of of the lojack brand highs and lows okay um how did it how did it start let's talk about how it started so it started about three months before i moved to the uk yep and just sat down i was talking to my girlfriend at the time my now wife and said you know what I really think there's an opportunity to create a clothing brand um, for the fight industry. Mm-hmm. At that time, I was actually, you know, I'd been watching Pride yeah. sort of, cool. you know, DVDs for years, um, but wasn't really deep in the MMA industry. You're more like kick, uh, Muay Thai. Fight. Yeah, I was yeah. in Muay Thai. I've been, you know, training on and off, you know, Muay Thai since I was 17. Yeah. So I thought to myself, you know what, there's no clothing brands in the Muay Thai world, you know, there's sort of sports brands, but no real clothing brands. I think there's a real opportunity. So drew a few uh, t-shirt designs, uh, sitting down at the kitchen table one night, and I was training down in Boonshu, yep. down in Burley with John Wayne Park yep. and his wife, Angie, and thought to myself, you know what, I reckon the way to get this out there is going to be to sponsor some athletes because it was, you know, e-commerce was just sort of emerging then and you know when you had a website and even if you sold stuff on there it wasn't you know a primary driver of revenue for most brands like it is today mm-hmm. so um sketched some ideas and went down to training one night and showed uh wayne and said listen i'm going to start some you know a brand you know can we sponsor you and this was just coming into the time when he was just about to go on the contender yep, yep. um tv series so he said listen you know i'd like to but uh, but i can't so we ended up sponsoring his wife angie and what that basically meant was we ended up giving her you know free clothing 
in exchange for some photos of her and the gear. Yeah. Created a, a website that I sort of fumbled my way through myself. And we started reaching out to people in the Muay Thai industry to see if we could sponsor them. This is before we'd even sort of printed our first t-shirt. Yeah, wow. And I think about 10 of them said, yep, sure, we'd, we'd love to be sponsored. So created a website, put up some photos. Um, you could actually buy stuff online. Uh, went and got some t-shirts printed here on the Gold Coast and suddenly had a brand. So I actually decided to leave my time in in sales mm-hmm. uh, i worked for a company called accor a big hotel company mm-hmm. been in sales for about five years and decided to leave that um my now wife said listen i'll support you that's awesome um just jump just sort of go for it and i was earning great money back then especially for my age so i just thought you know i'll, I'll give it a crack and we just sort of kicked off and then i just started you know trying to hustle at a million miles an hour to do anything I could to connect with people, uh, you know, sell a t-shirt here and there and just get any sort of exposure. Uh, started with like 500 bucks, had no money and just sort of started to hustle my way. Got offered a, a really good job um, in the UK. So I took that for 18 months. Yep. Came back and thought, you know what? I don't want to go back to just working for, for someone else. I'm really going to give it a crack. So just started, you know, hustling probably on Facebook, actually, just messaging all these fighters. Um, You know, I remember contacting a a fighter called Elvis Sinisic, one of the pioneers, you know, in Australian MMA, you know, and some young kid from the Gold Coast is sort of reaching out saying, listen, I started a new brand. I, I want to sponsor you. Are you interested? So he said, yes. I uh, flew down to Sydney and um, I said, listen, we'll, we'll do an Elvis Sinisic signature tea yep. and we'll give you, I can't remember, X amount for each, each sort of sale if you sort of push it. Flew down to Sydney, you know, took some photos with them, got some great media coverage and I think it was MMA, oh, I don't even remember the name, um, one of the, one of the, one of the yeah. magazines, one of the Australian ones. Ended up getting some exposure, um, ended up, getting Sawa, the Hulk, Palele yep. uh, to come on board. Again, yep. just hustled through through Facebook, you know. And I think we ended up with five MMA guys and we had about 15 Muay Thai guys. And I started to realize that the five MMA guys were bringing in like five times the amount of sales than the 15 Muay Thai guys wow. because, you know, clothing's just not that much of a part of Muay Thai culture. <laughs> and so we thought, right, well, MMA's the way to go. And we went that way. That's crazy. That's so cool. <laughs> For those of you that don't know as well, Miles actually has an MMA clothing brand as well. So mm, mm. that is probably the reason why he was so drawn to Daniel's story mm. in regards to Lojack. So Miles' brand's called Movement. Um, more so focused in the jiu-jitsu space though. So synergies are really cool there. Both of them are obviously pioneers in the social media space and having an agency on the Gold Coast. I wanted to just touch on a topic where um, a big thing we often get hit up about is um, working with other people and collaborating. So when we first met you, obviously, you guys are building Campbell Media and you invited us down underneath your office to just have a coffee. And um, often meeting people from the same industry, I can firsthandly say, usually don't go very well. I've... I meet with people sometimes in hospitality and sometimes I've met with people in 
health and fitness. Sometimes I met with people in sports nutrition. And there's usually this, um, I guess, wall of ego that comes about due to people thinking this person's in my industry and they're taking my clientele. And I can clearly say 100% with you, it was the complete opposite. It was, this is what I'm doing. Um, I think you guys are doing cool stuff. Mm. I'd like to see whether we can do cool stuff together. And if we can't, no problem. But if we can, that would be awesome. And I found that really refreshing um, from the point of view that it's a rare thing that happens in business, but it's definitely the way I think business should operate. How you guys at Campbell Media operate and yourself personally. Is that something that you instill throughout your business or throughout just even your personal relationships that working together is often a much, much easier tack than trying to fight and push off and do all these things that just seem to take up a whole lot of negative just negative energy that comes about trying to operate like that? Um, I just think it's a really a, a personal thing. I've always been like that. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people aren't, and I think a lot of people come from the, you know, a bit of a scarcity mindset of, oh my God, this person's out to take something that's mine, or we're kind of fighting over the, the same cookie or, you know, whatever it is. You know, I've always thought that the reality is that the world's sort of big enough to have, you know, everyone succeed. So I sort of come from a one plus one equals three mm. mindset as opposed to one plus one, fuck only one of us can can win. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sorry for swearing, I don't know. No, that's, no. that's okay. <laughs> um, so I, I've just kind of always been like that. And thank you for, for what you said. Um, you know, we're on the Gold Coast. It's a, a small place, you know, compared to a lot of places. But there's, you know, more than enough clients for, you know, each of our agencies and 10 other agencies to be incredibly mm. successful. Yep. And I'd rather just, you know, connect with good people in the industry um, and just good people in general, mm-hmm. really. 100%. And talk, talking about connection, um, you've obviously worked with heaps of influencers throughout that LoJack period. And so you found people that you obviously love to work with, maybe some that you didn't like to work with, and you were talking about the impact that these people had on your business. Let's talk about, you know, let's get into agency world and talk about influences and what you think their impact is on people's businesses. Because people are still out there saying influencer marketing doesn't work or it hasn't worked for them and these sorts of things. But you're a, a living testament to the fact that it worked for your business and helped it rise to be the biggest MMA clothing brand of its time essentially you know it's so funny that you that you say that up until you just said that i'd never ever thought of mm. what we did 100 it was influencer yeah. based yeah. marketing but it, i guess it was you know we built our entire brand off that um so that's that's really interesting that you say that um influencer marketing you know for us it is something that we we do work on a little bit for clients but it really depends on the client mm-hmm. I don't think that influencer marketing sort of like any other aspect of digital marketing is a one size fits all. Yeah. I don't think it, you know, works out of the box for every client. I, I think it just I think it just depends. Mm-hmm. Um it, it just depends on the on, on the brand really. Mm-hmm. Um it, it plays an important part, especially in sort of consumer products yep. as well. But, you know, for us our, our focus isn't heavily on those, you know, kind of low-priced consumer products so we work with influencers a little bit but it's not really a staple of what we do yeah 
yeah, you work on much broader campaigns rather than those kind of micro sort of campaigns with influencers and things like that. My, my, my kind of take on the whole influencer thing is that these people who, you know, could be considered as influencers and it could be anyone from having one follower to one million followers is that they've built a community or they've, they've built an engaged audience of people who trust them, um, know what their message is. Um, so if a brand can connect with someone that's an, considered an influencer with, you know, an engaged audience and that person will drive traffic that they own, that, that they essentially have, which is their audience to say a product page, it might be Lojack or something like that, then it's a really good way for a brand to leverage that influencer um, in terms of moving those audiences. Because at the end of the day, whether it's doing Facebook ads or influencer marketing it's about moving traffic um and moving the engaged traffic that you know have a high level of of conversion is going to be you know a good tactic to have so you've done quite a bit of influencer marketing for let's say biscuit or cocoa whip or all those sorts of things what's your opinion on the whole influencer marketing thing um i think there's a level of um like dan was saying there's a level of it doesn't fit all brands Mm -hmm. um some things really catch on very well because it looks authentic and sorry it actually is authentic other things you can feel that it's forced or it's made up and there's a lot of other things for example like then meeting with elvis and saying i'll give you this um if you promote these shirts and obviously he was into those shirts Mm -hmm. because he wouldn't have taken on otherwise and he clearly had some type of role in the design element. Yeah. And his followers were like, I believe this because it's real. Mm-hmm. It's it's a shirt that was made by him, custom by him, and it's now is connected with this brand Lojack. I'm going to buy into that brand. It wasn't a situation of then just making up this fabrication and just throwing his random brand to Elvis and saying buy this because I'm wearing this. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel there's definitely a massive disconnect that often occurs. And I also think that's also why it's kind of muddied the waters mm-hmm. where people have tried that. It hasn't worked, but they've been promised mm-hmm. good results of something that's clearly a fabrication. So the next time someone comes around to them, like a Dan or ourselves in the agency or digital media space, people are already gun shy saying, no, nah, not for me because I had someone come and promise me that I was going to sell all this stuff if I bought into this influencer campaign and it did absolutely nothing for me. Mm-hmm. And that's like anything. There's always a good and a bad and there's people that are doing the doing things right, connecting brands with the right people and those people authentically and organically growing their business and they're not being this promise of overarching grandeur and you're going to make a heap of money versus these are people that you can connect with that will help build your community Mm -hmm. at the end of the day you build a community it's up to you to obviously improve your business through that community Mm -hmm. so it's something that i think still needs a lot of education around it yeah it's it's very new it's very fresh and like anything when it's new people try and take advantage of people's lack of understanding within the whole space and I'm only new to this as well, myself in this, um, I guess, social media space and learning from guys like yourselves exactly the best tactics to go about it. But it keeps growing, keeps changing. It's probably the most adaptative thing I've seen in any type of business. I haven't seen 
haven't seen anything quite change like this over such a short period of time, which is really cool. For sure. I've got to say, I you know, I do fully support the use of influencers. Mm-hmm. It does bring disproportionate awareness, yep. you know, to brands. I do think that some brands, you know, get it wrong and they go for a real scattergun yep. approach. And they try to find, I think the first thing they do is they look for number of followers versus engagement. Mm-hmm. And they're two totally different things. Yep. You know, I've seen people with, you know, followers just in a few thousand that have extreme engagement, you know, from their follower base. And then you find people with, you know, hundreds of thousands and their engagement is less than the person with, you know, five, six, seven thousand. So I think brands chase the wrong thing a lot of the time. Yeah. They just chase followers, not engagement. And I also think that that scattergun approach of, you know what, we'll get a hundred influencers to do one post about our brand. Mm-hmm. Me personally, and you know, I'm not the digital marketing sort of guy, um, but I think that that's the wrong approach. I think the approach is, you know, to select 10 and really, you know, build a relationship. So over time, those 10 influencers can build, you know, can post 10 times and really start to gain the, the trust of their their followers. I agree. And they're able to sort of lead in with their support of the brand in a softer way mm-hmm. rather than, hi guys, you know, I really love this stuff, buy it hashtag ad yeah you know they can sort of just start mentioning it and start infusing it and then they can really sort of ramp up like a bit of a pre-launch might be a new product drop or a new mm-hmm. season drop or a new, a new something mm-hmm. and then really go off with a bang um so i think that that it, i think people forget that and they just go for the more is more and i don't think that's the case for sure it's all about what you guys are just saying which i completely agree with it's all about developing a a a coercive strategy behind your influencer you know marketing efforts um which i think a lot of brands don't do they just think that if they pay x influencer five hundred dollars they should receive four ten times you know return on on that ad spend essentially (laughs) which is not is not all this always the case no it's definitely yeah. not and so i mean with with someone young i guess like you looking back at everything that you did you probably it's like that crystal ball effect i think all of us feel if we could look into the future and know what we know now when we were younger with what we were doing with starting a brand or a product or whatever it may be there's certain things you would have done different but at the same time they taught you the lessons that you have now which you can pass on to a great wide range of audience like people that could be listening to this for someone starting a brand or a product is there anything that you definitely think they should look into asap and try and really seek sink their teeth into to to get more knowledge more skills more more anything to to help their journey uh that's a really good question i think um for people that are thinking about starting out and people that are thinking about maybe launching a brand or you know creating a product probably the first thing i'll say to them is it's always easier if you are part of your own target market mm-hmm. True. so that's for me i think where a lot of people go wrong they're just thinking of some next crazy idea that they can do um, if you're part of your own target market it'll give you insights that you can just kind of never draw from from anywhere else love it um, you know, for people that have actually started a brand, it's really, you know, it's about the hustle, right? You've got to be prepared to sort of do whatever it takes, you know, unless you're fortunate enough to have somebody come in and bankroll your dream, which, you know, 
most people aren't. It, it's it's really about the hustle, and as cliche as it sounds, that's that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's you know, I think some people have a, a view of entrepreneurship that it is this trendy, cool thing, and you're an entrepreneur, and suddenly sort of everything's going to work out for you. And the reality is, it's not like it's a shit show most of the time. You know. Yeah. It's a challenge. It is no 99% of the time. So I think, you know, what would help people is if they went into it sort of eyes wide open that it's not as easy as it looks. And, and if they're not prepared to really like claw people's eyes out, not in a, you know, treating people badly way, but yeah. just doing whatever it takes to, 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 I guess, achieve success, just don't even start like mm. save yourself the heartache because you know it looks fun on the outside but it's a ton of sleepless nights and, and challenges on the inside you know yeah so true do you like something that made me think i was possibly suited to going down this route was the fact that i enjoyed that aspect of going it's me and i have to be up and i have to do this and i have to do that and a lot of people like my wife, for example, kind of often looks at me like you're crazy. Like, you, the, the, what's because you are crazy. <laughs> what's enjoyable about like sleepless nights and waking up early and your package goes missing and that means everything could be pushed back and you may miss this product launch because it's something completely out of your control happened. But is that level of when it does come off, when when everything, all that work that you put together really comes off and like you said most of the time when you really think about it you're spending most of your time really not getting to that end goal like you're constantly pushing and striving and pushing and striving and the goalpost keeps moving because things keep changing but there's still a certain joy in that aspect of continuing to push through what you thought may you knew you had a dream and you just kept going and going and eventually you get there and then there's the next dream that you keep pushing through is that something that as a kid you always kind of were driven to or was it something that you just developed? Like like you said, you were doing something and then you developed the next thing and then you kept going and going and before you knew it, you were that person. You became that person that was driven and kept pushing through all the boundaries and barriers that kept getting thrown in front of them. Um, I think that a lot of that comes back to you know playing competitive sport at a high level yeah. since I was since I was really young I, I that really sort of shaped I think um, my personality and the way I tackled challenges yeah. um, and you know my mum sort of growing up she was always instilling in myself my brother from a really young age that you know whatever it is just kind of go for the biggest goal and you can do it and I know it might sound a little bit corny but that had a real impact on me sort of growing up that it was always you know trying to exceed expectations and you know be successful and then go on to the next thing and to the next thing I think it was to do with my sport and my mum to be fair yeah it's amazing how much of an impact sport has on the rest of your development in life a lot of the guests that we have on are either former athletes or they've had some sort of you know, um, experience or some sort of level of, you know, success with sport. And they all seem to, to carry that along with them in life as well. I, I personally think because, you know, playing sport at a competitive level, let alone a high level, mm -hmm. you've got to be resilient. Yeah. 
So I think, you know, sport at the highest level just breeds real resilience in people. And you've got to be really resilient to be successful in business, Mm -hmm. I think. You know, unless you're kind of lucky and just all the ducks align, but they very rarely do. That's so true. Because, I mean, the hard thing, the thing I'm actually really, because I have a young son, about to have another one that I'm really hating at the moment, (laughs) is just this participation reward system, Mm, which... I get told off about it by other parents that I shouldn't be like that. But at the end of the day, there's a winner and there's a loser. Mm-hmm. And I'm completely happy if I was the person that stepped up to the line and the other person was better than me. I should be awarded as the second place. Whereas now, almost as a society, we feel that everyone should be rewarded for just the fact of they were there on this day, which I think is crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. I feel that everyone is doing their very very best and the person that did the best on that given day and time should be rewarded and the person that showed the most resilience the person that showed the most commitment the most determination should be rewarded and it's now breeding this almost like well i was adequate which is now good enough Mm -hmm. but i can 100 percent tell you if you're getting into the game of business (laughs) adequate is never going to be good enough never ever ever going to be good enough and if you're not 100% committed to what you're doing, like you said with sport, if you go in half-assed into a tackle or into a punch or into anything, you're going to end up on your ass. And, and the same thing will happen within the business world, which is why I think it's so important that those references from sport people take through for the rest of their life really, really start to come to the forefront. This is a perfect segue into you know, the, the end, I guess, of Lojack. Um, which I find is is very fascinating. I'm interested to hear from you about this experience because we're talking about resilience and we're talking about you can work as hard as you possibly can, but if there's something that you can't control, you need to have that resilience <laughs> to be able to combat the you know whatever is going on in your head. So tell our listeners all about how Lojack ended because I f- think that's a really fascinating story. You're at the top, you're at the high life, you're living the high life, everything's going smoothly, and then? So, like you said, things were going really, really well. Um, the the six months before everything went off a cliff were our, our best six months to date. Um, I sold a, a portion of the company, mm-hmm. brought in an investor who worked actively within the business. You know, we'd become the first Australian MMA brand to sponsor a walkout tee in the UFC, um, the first Aussie MMA brand to do a, a walkout tee in the Strike Force, uh, in Strike Force. EA Sports just released a MMA game, mm-hmm. and we were um, we were a brand on that, so we were, awesome. we were selectable as a brand. Everything was going sort of amazingly. Then a couple of things happened. Uh, the first thing happened was the UFC brought in their sponsorship tax. They looked at all the the clothing brands, you, you know, your bigger brands like your Affliction, your Silver Star, your Tap Out, and they were making hundreds of millions a year. And uh, they looked at that and basically said, "Well, the NFL wouldn't do that." What they were forgetting though was that the NFL pay the athletes significantly more than. The UFC did, mm-hmm. and a lot of fighters relied on their sponsorship money, which quite often equaled or was more than their actual fight purses, mm-hmm. to survive. So they brought in a sponsorship tax, 
we said you had to pay i think it was a minimum of 100 grand yeah. us yeah. before you spend a dollar on on the fighters they did it under the premise of um, cleaning up the appearance of the industry and protecting fighters from companies that wouldn't pay them mm -hmm. you know because it was a bit of a free-for-all and there were absolutely companies that, that did that you know but what it did is it basically knocked out 90 percent of the companies overnight mm -hmm. um, which is a downside for the for the fighters it knocked out you know a significant amount of of their income mm -hmm. and their revenue so you know we all thought well what do we sort of do next fortunately strike force was um the number two mma promotion in the world at that time and they had you know a ton of great coverage especially even you know here in australia so all of us brands sort of moved over to strike force and that's how we ended up you know doing the walkout tea for paul daly when he fought nick diaz mm -hmm. and it was okay well we've had to pivot a little bit but everything is, is all good you know and at that time we were in seven different countries you know business was great and then the ufc bought strike force <laughs> And they did the same thing and they implemented the sponsorship tax there. So again, that basically cut the majority of, you know, brands out of the market and stopped us from getting any exposure. Mm -hmm. And no exposure equals no demand because people, you know, won't seek out what they can't see mm -hmm. or what not, why they're not, what they're not even aware of. Yep. And that basically overnight just dried up you know, orders from distributors, from the, the licensees, because people weren't coming in to their stores asking for Lojack anymore because no one was seeing Lojack. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just us, you know, some some really big companies, um, you know, companies like Form Athletics, everybody just kind of closed That's their right. doors overnight mm -hmm. because we couldn't get, get any exposure. Um, that combined with we did a deal in the US with a, a really, really well-known couple of people that have been, you know, ultra successful in the in the fashion industries for brands like FUBU and and big MMA brands. We did a big distribution deal with them. Uh, I was young, I was eager. Um, when the deal came through, I didn't bother to take it to lawyers because. You know, we were hustling and sort of re, you know, reinvesting 99 cents out of every dollar that we made. So I thought, oh, that's fine. I checked it over. Oh, yeah, that, that looks okay for a legal agreement. And we ended up getting screwed over by them. They, um, they stole about $40,000 worth of our stock and didn't pay us around another $30,000 worth of cash. And when I confronted them about it, they basically said, well, yeah, we did it. What are you gonna do Come get your money wow. if you want it. We'll see you in court in the US. So I explored doing that. A good friend of mine was Vandalay Silver's manager mm -hmm. for a lot of years, who's also a lawyer in Vegas. And he just said to me, listen, you will absolutely win if you go to court, but you could easily spend 100 grand winning. Mm -hmm. Do you have 100 grand to spend? And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sales dried up in a really short space of time, no exposure. We lost all that money and we just couldn't continue to, to roll on. So it was with sadness we closed our doors. And what sort of mindset did you have at that particular time? What was some of the emotions that you were going through after just being on such a high and then just having such a dramatic you know, drop? What were you going through? What was next? You know what? I was actually... I wasn't 
angry mm-hmm. or I wasn't bitter about it um, because I, I probably genuinely felt that the reason it went off a cliff wasn't my doing. Now, if I'd have fucked things up and suddenly sales went off a cliff, I'd be able to live with that, but I'd probably be a little more, fu- a little bit more frustrated. You know, all I really thought is, well, you know, what can I learn from this? What can I take away that I did do well to do well again? What mistakes did I make, such as the the legal agreement? Since that day, I've always had a hyper focus on anything legal throughout my business career, which has actually served me very, very well. Um, so, you know, obviously disappointed. The fact that we lasted, outlasted a lot of the big brands made me feel proud of, of what we did. You know, a lot of those big, you know, household brands close their doors before us. So it was just sort of, you know, one of those things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't let it affect me too badly. And, you know, I took a month off and then thought, you know, fuck, I need to get a job. So I got a job and just kept going. <laughs> and then you moved into, obviously, the corporate space. So how was that as a transition? Um, it, was, it was a good transition. You know, I'd spent... Um, quite a few years in, in sales, mm-hmm. you know, and really at the pointy end of sales in the timeshare industry, mm-hmm. which is really like your black belt, special ops, Navy SEALs of, of sales. <laughs> so I thought to myself, right, I'll, I'll go back and I'll work in sales as, as a sales manager or director of sales or something like that. Um, I was out one day and I was having a look on, uh, on Seek on my phone and found an ad um, for a sales manager for a job in Brisbane. And this is really, this is before you could apply online through your phone and everything like that. So I called my girlfriend who was at home and said, listen, I found this amazing job. Can you apply for me? Just jump on my computer, send the application. Don't worry about a cover letter. So I thought she applied. About a week later, I get a phone call from this company that I didn't recognize whatsoever. So you play the game and you go, oh, yeah, you know, I applied. Yeah, I'll come in for an interview. Um, what was the name of the company again? Write it down. Yeah, yeah, of course I remember. Jumped off the phone and thought, I've got no fucking idea who these guys are. <laughs> and what had actually happened was um, my, my, my lovely wife had applied for the wrong job and applied for a job uh, for a company that sold therapeutic beds based here on the Gold Coast. Tiny little family business, um, total team of, of seven. So I went along for a job as a sales manager and... Ended up getting the job. I thought, cool, it'll be good to be back in sales. I loved sales, loved the energy. Um, joined that business, a little Gold Coast-based business. Um, within two weeks of me being there, all five of the salespeople had left. It was me, it was the admin girl, and it was the owner. So I was like, right, well, you know, I want to take what I learned from growing Lojack from nothing, and let's grow this from nothing. Mm-hmm. And grew it from, you know, the three of us to 120 staff, I think, four years later. Wow. Man, that's insane. Therapeutic beds. Hey, ther- therapeutic beds. Actually, really, really big in, you know, the, the sports space. Yep. Really big in the sports space. Um, all about recovery, uh, circulation. You know, one of the last things I did before I, I left that company, which was called Revitalife, one of the last things I did was sign Sally Pearson. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as our first official sports ambassador. Um, but we went up, we had our beds in um, 
up at the the Gabba. It's Gabba in Brisbane, right? Yeah. Yep. With the the Brisbane Lions. Um, they had their beds there, so the athletes used to come in from training and go into like the sleep room and put their body in a special position, which takes all the pressure off the muscles and recover. So it was great, you know. I got to, you know, all that sort of stuff just purely came from those same sort of hustling elements as trying to sign fighters with Lojack. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a really, really interesting industry to be in. You know, predominantly it was always focused around old people, you know, kind of electric beds for old people. Mm-hmm. And when I joined the company, it was called Seniors Plus Australia. And there was, you know, such a focus, especially overseas around these therapeutic beds for athletes that uh, I rebranded it to Revive Life and we just went after that younger demographic uh, very successfully. Yeah, wow. Well, so that was kind of that, those few years back after Lojack. I think one, one thing that obviously the listeners can take forward from hearing your story is um, just the ability to apply anything that had been learnt mm previously into any type of new application because ultimately at the end of the day you either have a good or a service that you're selling in in some manner no matter what you're going to fall into one of two categories so if you were successful at something and no matter what has happened you were successful for a maybe a long period of time or a really small period of time you were doing something right so if you can harness what it is that thing you were doing right and take it to another industry another service another it could be anything you can you can repeat it and that's like a great testament because i know a lot of people that have gone out had some hard luck thought that it was them and will never give it a go again Mm -hmm. completely terrified about it said no didn't work i'm no good at this and i'm like you are good at this it was just you were doing things right something went wrong unfortunately that didn't work out but there's there's so many things that you you could get back into you could do really well so apply what you had learnt before into this new aspect but I guess people are scared Mm -hmm. or it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing to put yourself out there again as you probably would know that I guess when something goes wrong and you fail once you're just like if that was to happen again, mm. how would I recover from it? And if it was to happen again, how would I recover from it? Rather than thinking, I did really well. Mm-hmm. And Does that come down to your support network? I think so. I think a fair bit has to do with it. I mean, I know I'm very fortunate to have a lot of really good people around me that more than anything believed in me, mm-hmm. which made me go, well, if they believe in me, I never had an issue of going, having a self-belief issue. I just maybe parents instilled a good level of confidence in me that I could do whatever I set my mind to but that 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 mechanism of going what's the worst that's going to happen for me is what I always think of is that I still still have that support network that trust me and love me and I'll just get up and do it again and I think that's a super important message and that's something that I'm pretty passionate about because as a lawyer and especially as a litigation lawyer, especially as an insolvency lawyer, I saw so many times where people, and it might have been from my hand, you know, it's part of your job, you need to, you know, go through the process to make someone bankrupt or you need to go through the process to wind up a business and someone just like yourself had been through, worked their ass off to to grow this business and then for whatever reason, um, you know, you're winding them up. And it happened more than once, um, not from my hand, thankfully, but that I would hear of 
multiple people taking their own lives because they were made bankrupt. And it was in that moment that I was like, oh, I couldn't care less if all of the money out of my pocket, out of my bank accounts, out of everywhere was just dissipated. At least I know that I had the support of my girlfriend at the time, which meant everything to me. And that was my support network that we would be fine. And so is that the kind of mindset that you had as well, building these businesses and then one of them just evaporating almost and then going into another you know um, industry with full belief in yourself and growing that to the the rate that you did did you have a support network was that your your wife now and was it was yeah. it your family did you have a supportive family growing up uh very very supportive family growing up um my my now wife extremely supportive you yeah. know she was the one where you know, we'd only been dating for a few months. I said, listen, I want to leave my high-paying job in sales <laughs> and do some T-shirts, you know? And she was like, cool, well, I'll support you financially. Just give it a crack. So I was very sort of fortunate. You know, I think it's it's interesting. To me, you know, business and success in business is a lot like dating, right? You know, you could marry your high school sweetheart you know, which means the, the first business venture or, you know, something you do, it could be the one that you do for the rest of your life. You could have complete success. And for those people, um, you know, fantastic, like that, that's absolutely awesome. But I think some people forget, you know, that if you date someone and you break up, that doesn't mean that, you know, the right person isn't there for you or you're not destined to be happy. You're not destined to get married and have kids and I think it's the same in business you know sometimes people to me when people give it a crack and it doesn't work out and they never have a crack again it's like trying to date once when you're 16 the relationship ending and you're never dating again yeah, yeah. you know it, it might take four or five girlfriends to find the love of your life very very few people you know end up with incredible success from their first business you know, it's usually their fourth or their fifth or their sixth. You know, for me with, with Campbell Media Group, you know, this is probably the almost a fifth sort of career I've had. Mm -hmm. If I'd have given up, you know, after one or after two or after three or even after four, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing now. And, you know, I've got no idea what I was doing, what, what I would be doing. So, you know, I think a lot of it's just a, a mindset from people that, it's not expecting it to not work, but just being prepared and realizing that, you know what, if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a stepping stone and that's sort of one step closer to where you really want to get to or, you know, one girlfriend closer to, you know, the person that you're going to end up with forever, hopefully. Cool. This, yeah. is, this is something we discuss a lot about, like attaching your identity yeah. to your business. Is that where you're going to go it's as well? Where I was yeah. going to go. Yeah. It was, you were thinking the exact same thing I was because, for example... With you and Lojack, and Lojack yeah, obviously one. didn't didn't end up where you had hoped it was, but we find that we meet some people that have just wrapped their whole identity and being around whatever it is their business is. And obviously, you're more than the guy that started Lojack, and you're more than the person that is the owner and CEO of Campbell Media Group and all these things. But if the people that we know have attached themselves to that and their identity that thing burns and doesn't succeed, then it's almost like they don't succeed, which leads to the issues that Miles was talking about where you obviously 
think you've lost your identity. Mm. You, you don't know who you are anymore because what you are that you attach yourself to has failed. So you automatically think that you're a failure. But it's just this one aspect of who who you are and what you do is just a small, minute aspect of it that you you could be a dad, you could be a brother, son, you could be a friend, you could be an athlete, you could be a billion one things. It's not like you were driving to work and you got pulled over for a red light by going through a red light and then you said, well, I suck at driving now, I'm never going to drive. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's just a case of you were going through one part of a journey and it didn't end up exactly where you thought it would be. So you take a new direction, pick a new roadmap and head down that pathway. But I guess that's another thing too for anyone that's probably starting a business is to say 100% give it, give it every single ounce of yourself. But don't feel that's you mm-hmm. like it's not it's not that's all you are and you you can't be someone else outside of that because the other big negative is some people don't know when to sell their business mm-hmm. because they think that's me um and someone comes to them and goes i really like your business and i'd like to buy this and they're offering them something quite attractive that would give them freedom mm-hmm. like you could give them a whole lot of financial freedom or time freedom or a lot of other things but they go no I can't do that I'm this so I think it just all comes down to self-awareness and then a lot of these people aren't really aware of of themselves who they are and so the one moment that they can attach themselves or their identity is something that they do and then if it crashes and burns they crash and burn but at the end of the day they have to just refine themselves to a certain degree what what's your idea of do you do much personal growth has that been a big you know, um, concept for you growing up and going through these businesses, like just pushing your own mental growth? Uh, absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, to, to both of your earlier points, I think for, for people listening, you know, a really good takeaway is the success of your business isn't what's going to define you, but it's the way that you carried yourself Mm -hmm. that i think defines whether you're successful or not like were you driven did you hustle and to me being a you know a business owner entrepreneur isn't about i I really don't subscribe to the you've got to work harder than everyone else and you know if you're not doing 23 hours worth of work in a day you know you're not good enough or you shouldn't call yourself an entrepreneur i I personally don't subscribe to that Mm -hmm. i subscribe to work smarter um, I think that, you know, for all of us, our our business or our job should really be there just to help provide a lifestyle with the people that we love and care about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that people got to remember that if you go out there and you give it an absolute, you know, your best shot and you, you know, really give 100%, then whether your business does or doesn't work out is almost irrelevant because you've been successful. Yeah. And I think that people need to kind of tie their almost their identity or their own success to how they operate in business not necessarily whether things work out or they don't because sometimes it will work out and sometimes it, it won't i've seen plenty of people that you know don't know what the hell they're doing with an incredibly successful business and i've met some of the most successful people i've ever met in my life and they've had 10 businesses and they've they've all failed mm-hmm. You know, but to me, they're still successful people, not because of what the end outcome was, but because, you know, kind of how they 
took to the journey. Um, I know that probably didn't answer your no, question, so I'll, I'll loop back to that. Loved it. But um, personal growth, personal development, yeah, I started reading, you know, kind of all the, the books that, you know, kids do, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and, and all those sorts of books. My mum was very big into to personal development. So it's always been something that I've been focused on because I've thought, you know, if I'm better, then I'll do better. Mm-hmm. So let's make myself better you know one of the things that I did uh, about four years ago was I realized that I didn't have anyone around me that I was really learning from Mm -hmm. so I went out and sought people that I'd met in my career over the years and asked them to be my personal board of advisors so I had four people one of them was you know the ex-CEO of the company I worked for in sales like massive company very successful guy and just called him and said listen you probably don't remember me but you know would you be interested in every month sort of speaking to me and sort of helping me to learn and develop and grow so for a few years you know I had my own personal board because you know if you're not learning and you're not developing then you're you're leaving money and success on the table that's taking so obviously there's that saying where it's just like you are you represent kind of the five people that are that are around you you've just taken that another step further and you've actually yeah. appointed a, a board around you that's so cool that's actually what a great idea yeah that, that's beyond proactive i haven't actually heard of anyone doing that that's a smart smart move and are, you, was, are you gonna go do that now <laughs> thinking about yeah, it. me too it definitely, it definitely got me thinking about it it was, it was great you know it absolutely shaped my career success and my personal growth so yeah. I, I loved it that's amazing. That's cool. And One, then, yeah, go, go, you, you go. You go. No, okay. you go, you go. Cool. So <laughs> with Camel Media, obviously, um, be great for people to find out more about what you do. And particularly, I think you guys um, are one of the leaders in obviously providing education and removing this like, like snake oil type of mystique around social media management and Facebook advertising and everything around that where where can people find out more info about yourself and your company and all the good stuff that you guys are doing um probably first option is our website which is campbellmediagroup.com.au yep. you know for us we we didn't want to play in the in the uh, the agency world of just taking a bit of money for doing a few posts on people's social media um you know so i think for us we really wanted to focus on what business wanted, which was um, results to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's been a, a real big focus. And you know what? It forces you to stay honest mm-hmm. because all that's real is the numbers and the numbers don't lie. So, you know, in the, the I guess, the part of the social media world that we're in, we can say whatever we want, but if we're not delivering X amount of sales or X amount of leads... Like there, there's nowhere to hide. Mm. So I think that that approach has forced us to be completely transparent in, in everything that we do and that sort of carried across to how we interact with clients, you know, current clients or, or potential clients. That's Very awesome. Cool. Uh, has your sales background translated well into this Facebook advertising space? We actually haven't started any of our own. Well, actually, just... A few weeks ago, we just started our own kind of um, outbound marketing efforts. Mm-hmm. 
because everything that we've done up until this point has been on existing relationships yeah. from myself, um, my co-founder, Brett, and our director of digital strategy, Damien. So what I think's helped was um, my relationships. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, sales is really all about relationships and communication and influence. Mm -hmm. So I think all those things have combined to allow us to have a really, really great start, mm -hmm. you know, and get to the stage that we are without having to really hustle for business. It's, it's just come to us. Uh, so, you know, that stuff has, has helped, but, you know, not in a get someone on the phone and use these specific techniques to close a deal. Um, it's just, you know, maybe it will in the future and hopefully it will, but we haven't needed to up until this point. I think it already has because obviously if you're saying that sales is about influence relationships and all those sorts of things, you're doing that in the back end and that's why you, you don't even have to do any outbound marketing yep. <laughs> or sales strategies. That's cool. Man, full of wisdom, is there any key words or quote or anything that maybe your mum said to you or someone had said to you that you basically use as your compass to navigating through this tough business world and everything else that you're doing in life at the moment? Um, you know, I probably couldn't pinpoint it down to to one thing, yeah. but it is a little bit of the concept of, you know, how you conduct yourself as a person, both personally and professionally. That's the true reflection of, you know, how successful you are, mm -hmm. not what sort of car you drive or what sort of house you live in or, you know, kind of how many zeros you have in your bank account. Because all that stuff can come in a flash and it can go in a flash. You know, as my experience with Lojack, just literally gone in a flash. So, you know, what's truly important is what sort of person you are. And I think how you do business, how you conduct yourself, how you interact with your staff, how you interact with your customers. You know, that if you focus on that and you do a great job at that, you know, the rest will come a lot easier than trying to chase some money, chase a success you know chase what sounds good on paper at, at all expenses awesome great answer. man great answer. perfect answer one of the best ones we've had so far <laughs> dan appreciate it man it's been Pleasure. been good been awesome awesome thanks boys thanks Thank guys. You for having me